Well, good morning to you as well. Um, just to kind of give you a little framework of where we are as, as time, we've been studying a series called uh, Love to the End, and we started in chapter 13 of John. We went through 14, 15, 16. Today we look at 17. This being Palm Sunday, we're kind of off a little bit with our timing as far as the series is concerned. By the time Jesus and the disciples go to the upper room in 13, they already had Palm Sunday. So we're kind of in the middle of that week instead of being Palm Sunday today, which it is as we look at it. Uh, we're a little further ahead in our study. A couple things I just want to share from my heart as I looked and studied this throughout the week and listened to the other guys. It's amazing to me how much we can continue to learn about scriptures and the freshness, the newness. In my study and listening to this whole portion of loving to the end by Jesus, I came aware of how much the Trinity is packed into this little section more than any other place in scripture. We learn about the Trinity, which is a mystery. Who here wants to explain the Trinity? right? Um, it is a mystery. It may be a mystery even into eternity. But the Bible teaches the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I, for one, believe it and is amazed at it. But in this portion, we see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit put together in a very powerful section of Scripture to help us know we have a God that's incredible. So uh, what I want to do, um, a little bit in review, but before I get to there, I just want to share how many love to go on vacation? Eh, there's a few that don't. Workaholics. I, as a child, had experience of going every year to the same place. And even as I was young, I didn't remember everything as I got older. And eventually, when I became 17 and 18, I worked there for two summers. But as we began to travel to that place and a lot of highways, you begin to see the mountains come into view. And as you get closer and closer, the mountains disappear because I'm in the mountains. All I see is trees and the road is becoming like this until I get to the point where the big sign says, Camp of the Woods. It's a, it's a Christian camp that is just beyond. For me, it was a blessing that God allowed my parents to love Camp of the Woods, and we went there every year. The music was incredible. Um, I had a chance to be part of that for two summers. And I just thought about when vacation came around, boy, it's really something to look forward to. When we became a family... We, uh, we didn't go to the camp of the woods. It was a little more expensive to pay for each kid that way. Thanks, Dad. But we went to a place called Polly's Island down in South Carolina. And it was a long drive. Once we passed south of the border, um, we knew we were getting close. And then when we turned onto Route 17, just past um, Myrtle Beach, we knew we were getting there. We'd stop with the realtors, 
And then we crossed over the causeway. It's there. And I couldn't help but think in a certain way that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, before the creation of the world, which is another incredible thing, God always existed forever. He's eternal. And the Godhead, the Trinity, were very content and blessed by themselves. They didn't need to create this world or you and I. One of the things I believe they created so that you and I could experience their love and their personhood. But I got to believe, because God's got an emotion, that we're going to read in chapter 17. We're at the point where the God sees it's almost completed. We have come to rescue mankind. And we're at the verge of completing that. Even Jesus' words, you're going to read, says that. And then on the cross, he says it's finished. The work for the Trinity has been completed. Now it's just being carried out to all those that God says one day will be his. Till that last person become his. And then God comes to rescue this world, to rescue us and to set up his kingdom on earth. A glorious, glorious picture of what the Easter story is all about. And then next week, as Brian, actually this Friday, as we think about the death of Christ that paid our penalty, you and I deserve to die, be separated from God forever. But God the Father said this, I love you so much that I gave my one and only son that whosoever believes on him, depends on him, puts his trust in him, not in his own works, but the work of Christ on the cross, I declare you not guilty. You are forgiven. I give you eternal life. John says it this way, he who has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life, and the wrath of God rests upon him. All of us, before we come to be believers in Christ, God sees us through his wrath, but he has the cross to take his wrath away. Christ paid for my penalty. That's glorious. So that when we read and taught by Brian in chapter 13, we see Jesus in an incredible way, first of all, his humility in the midst of what's going to transpire in his life and also the humiliation that he's going to encounter. And what did he do? Do you remember? He got down in front of each disciple, took his towel off, and he washed their feet as an example of what it means to serve each other. He did that so we here at Hope, 2,000 years later, understand the heart he wants for us, each other. And we have opportunities against opportunities. Whether you have a baby or some coming or someone who's sick and you can bring meals, we have a way to serve people. And then he begins to share truths 
with his disciples on what he believes is necessary for them to understand because he says, I'm going. I will soon go to be with my father and I will see you no more except after a little while. And I will send you the Holy Spirit so you'll never be alone. And he tells them some incredible things. John 14, that great passage. Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And I go to prepare a place for you. So that when I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself. We're going to see Jesus face to face. And there you'll be with me. And then that great portion that Scott taught us. When Philip said, whoa, whoa, wait, time out here. Where are you going? How do we know the way? And Jesus said, who knows what he said? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And, and God wants us to understand that powerfully. We see that when we go to move to chapter 15, which I shared about I am the true vine. If you want to be connected to godliness, you have to be connected to Christ. And it's the Holy Spirit that enables us to abide, to remain. And Jesus says this powerful statement, I want you to be fruitful. That's our purpose. Be fruitful to glorify the Father. You cannot do that apart from me. You cannot produce fruit apart from the abiding spirit of Christ living in us. Then 16 says this. Now I want you to understand, and he gives us a whole description of the Holy Spirit, and power will come upon us. We need to learn, and it's funny how Glenn did it when I live Sunday, and Andrew told us about walking in the spirit of God. We want to encourage each other. I need Christ every day, every moment, to be able to live a life that not only pleases him, that I can experience God himself. So then we move to chapter 17. That's what we're going to look at today. At the end of chapter 14, and they're still in the upper room, and Jesus is teaching them. He says this, now, let's leave. So they left the upper room. This has been an interesting timeline to try to figure out. I don't have it all down perfect because it doesn't give us that way. But after chapter 14, they leave the upper room somewhere in Jerusalem and they're beginning to head towards the Garden of Gethsemane. At the end of 17, the beginning of 18, Jesus said, now, let us cross the Kindred Valley and up the hill to the Garden of Gethsemane. Wayne and I were there. We saw it from the other way. Jesus is having us look from Jerusalem up on top. We were up on top looking down the Kindred Valley and into Jerusalem. This may be an interesting fact. Not sure if it's true. But when you look down from the, the um, Mount of Olives, Garden of Gethsemane, what we see is the eastern gate. Anything special about the eastern gate? 
when he comes back and lands on Mount Olives, the earth will split and he will walk through the eastern gate as a conquering king. There's a good chance, because it's, to me, it's the best way to go, if it, as they're walking through Jerusalem and they're heading towards Gethsemane, they would go through the eastern gate this way. And now he's coming back. And here's the words that we have by our Savior, who, once he gets to the Garden of Gethsemane in chapter 18 and 19, he goes through tremendous agony, understanding what he's going to encounter with betrayal, um, being crucified, a horrific death. And we'll probably experience some of that on Good Friday. Well, let's turn to, if you want to, John 17. And it says this. After Jesus said this, okay, well, let's go back. What did he say? The end of 16, Jesus is telling them persecution is coming. They hated me, they will hate you. Let's zip up 2,000 years. You want to follow Christ? You want to be a person who loves God, loves each other, and goes out into the world to love those who are lost? You're going to be persecuted. I don't know if you're seeing it. The Middle East, they hate Christians because Satan's behind that. Satan wants to destroy everything that God loves. And he loves us to the end. But we're seeing an erosion in America where people hate Christians. Some because they're pretty arrogant people and they don't let the love of Jesus flow through them. They create judgment in their hearts. But if Christ lives in us, Jesus says, you will be persecuted. If the Holy Spirit gives you a hunger to love your wife, family, husband, those of us here at Hope, and love the world, there's going to be persecution. So after this, Jesus said this. And again, he's outside now. He's left chapter 14. He's left the room. He looked towards heaven and prayed Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you, God the Father. For you, God the Father, granted him, God the Son, authority over all people, that he, God the Son, might give eternal life to all those you, God the Father, have given him, God the Son. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you, God the Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus says this, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Christ sees it in his heart. It's a done deal. On the cross, it's been accomplished. 
The resurrection will prove it. They're all necessary. But Christ sees it, that I've been obedient to you, Father. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. This is another mystery. When we see and doctrinally here at Hope, we believe God, Jesus is both God and man. And in his humanity, and you can read this in Philippians 4, Jesus emptied himself, took on the form of man, and there were things here on this earthly journey that Jesus gave up. And one being this glory, fully God, in the presence that he had with God the Father before the world began. That's coming back. When our Savior comes to rescue us, he's coming back in full glory. Boy, that is incredible. When you read what Jesus, the Lamb, comes to conquer. And he's coming in righteousness. Faithful and true is his name. And he will have all the glory he had from the beginning of time before the world began. And he's praying for himself. That's what we need. God, if Jesus is needful to pray for himself, and we need to pray for us, we need God the Father through Jesus and by the Holy Spirit to live this life. Then he goes on to have a whole section of prayer for the disciples who are with him right now in the story. Let me, let me read this portion to you. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world, the disciples, the 12. Eventually, 120 at Pentecost. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. That's a message for us. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you, our Father. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. Do you and I accept God's word when it's taught here, when you read it at home, when you hear it on the radio or TV? If it's God's word, we need to obey it. Jesus says, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. These are the words of life. They're good for us, not bad. We were to accept them. They knew with certainty, what a, what a, with all the troubles the disciple has, they still had in their heart. God's, God's just praying and, and realizing that they're at a good place, even though they're all going to scatter. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. That's another whole teaching we're not going to get into now, but 
God is focusing on all those who will come to him in Christ. If you hear the message, don't resist that. Receive that. He goes on to say this. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me. And, and we're told, even in Hebrews, that God continues, Jesus Christ, God the Son, continues to intercede for us, to continue to pray to the Father of all the things he wants us to have. Um, we need to believe that. That will free us from so much. If, if God is praying for me, God the Son, is praying to God the Father who loves me for the things I need to have, when I go through life, I can believe the sovereign God is allowing every detail of my life to transpire. And I have to trust him. Sure, it's hard. The hurt, the pain, the sorrow, the doubts, the fears, everything God is overseeing in my life and in your life. Let's believe that. That's powerful. So that he's praying in his name. So that they may be one as we are one. That's key to his prayer here for the disciples. And we're going to see that in the book of Acts. It's carried out. When the world saw Holy Spirit-filled people live out life, it got the unbeliever's attention. It was powerful. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None have been lost. None except the one doomed to destruction, Judas Iscariot. So that scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus saying this to his father. I am coming to you now. But I say these things while I am still in the world. So that they may have the full measure of my joy. Steve touched on that. Uh, last week, with complete joy, is what it said in chapter 16, and also the aspect of peace. Joy and peace is what the believer can have in Christ. That doesn't compare to anything the world can give you, the world can give me. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. Paul said that, I think it was in Corinthians, he said, if, if, if I wasn't to be part of this world, God would have to take me out. I have the power to overcome the world because Jesus overcame the world. That's why we need to live in him. So I pray that you take them, that you not take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. That's God the Father and God the Son saying, I'm going to protect you from Satan and his onslaughts because they're incredible. We don't have to fear. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. They are not of the world even as I am not of the world. 
So he says this, talking to his father. Father, sanctify my disciples. Set them apart. Let them be holy. What's the word mean? Sanctify, holy, set apart. Because of our faith in Christ, we are special. Not because of what we do, but because of what Christ has done. Sanctified by the truth. Your word is truth. We need to be in the word. Do you ever hear me say that before? Okay, if you're not, you're in a dangerous place. The word of God is our offensive weapon, according to Ephesians 6. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified, set apart. This isn't our world or our kingdom. God wants us to recognize we live in it, we work, we do all those things that we're responsible to do, but we have something that's different than the world has. We have an eternal kingdom. Then the Lord shifts his prayer, and this is incredible to you and I. My prayer is not for them alone, his disciples, at that moment and what they'll encounter for the next 50 years. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. This is God's plan all along before the foundation of the world. I will come, I will call a people to myself, they will live out and begin to share the great news of who God is to the world, your neighbors, those you work with, those that maybe play basketball, or soccer, where you live, where you work, where you play, is what we try to say here. I don't have any ancestry of my salvation, but it's connected to the disciples. And so is yours. Every one of us became a believer by someone carrying out the message to the world. Unbelievable. That's God's plan. And it is being carried out. Uh, I can't express to you one of the, and I think all the elders would say this, but last week with the baptism of Ashley, where's she at? Oh, she's hiding behind Mike. Did you catch the glow, the smile, um, even through her testimony? Um, there is nothing greater here at Hope, when for us in leadership to see people come to Christ. And I could point out some others that have and who are growing leaps and bounds because they're in the word. They want to know Jesus. Ashley, you keep that up. There's nothing greater than Jesus. And he's yours forever. And we have that given to us by the faithfulness of the disciples and all the way down the line. My wife's German. Who knows if she's not part of Martin Luther and his ministry way back then? We don't know. I'm Irish, maybe St. Patty. You know, St. Patty was a believer. They kind of skew, even though we just celebrated him, who he is. Um, he came to Ireland specifically to give the gospel. 
And maybe I was part of that. My mom was a believer. My dad was a believer. He's part of the German Pennsylvania Dutch era. So um, I just, I just thankful for the grace of God that he used his disciples and all those who were faithful, who heard the message, carried it out, so that I can stand here telling you that I'm assured of my salvation because I'm trusting in the work of Christ. There's nothing else. Here's where he goes on to pray. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. What's that saying? The love that the Father and the Son have are transferred to us by being born into God's family. That's incredible. That's something you want to meditate on. I can love my wife the same way God the Father loves God the Son because it's not my love, it's through the Holy Spirit's love. Mm. Oh, Lord, help me to do that every day. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent them. Um, I think it was quoted by Adam and Warren. We got to get the message out of here at Hope. It's the greatest secret in Willow Grove. Well, hopefully it's the greatest secret because there's God's love in this building. And we fail at that at times. But we can go to Christ, ask forgiveness. He can cleanse us and we can get back to loving each other in a powerful way so that the world may see what it looks like to be part of God. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. That portion is not to his disciples. That portion there is to you and I. We can be one. Families can exhibit love that's just incredible. And then he goes on to say this. I in them, Jesus in us, and you, the Father, in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Colossians says it this way, above everything else, put on love, because that's the bond of unity. It's all centered in love. And love, 1 John tells us, is God. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in us. That's what we have, people. This kind of unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and I have loved them even as you have loved me. There's a lot of love going around here. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory that you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. It is coming. We've talked about this in our small group. The words we want to hear when we get to heaven is, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of my kingdom. 
There's an old song. I'm not going to sing it. (laughs) It will be worth it all when we see Jesus to look at his face, to see and be reminded of his hands and his feet. The scars will still be there. Jesus, I believe at the pinnacle of his ministry, from 13 all the way to the end of John, has accomplished the purpose that he came for. And now it's just gravy. It's whipped cream on top. He's calling a people to himself. It's all been taken care of. The work is done. It's completed. And it's yours and I to have and it's yours and I to share. So embrace this love that the Jesus the Son had with Jesus the Father. Embrace what God has allowed us to have here. And then embrace going out and sharing that message. Let's pray. Again, Father, your Son a glorious son, prayed to you all of his earthly ministry and life. We need to pray. We thank you for this prayer. We get to see the heart of our Savior. We get to see your heart and what you want to accomplish. And we get to see the heart of the Holy Spirit who will always Share the truth with us, the words of Christ. We're talking about a human being who was God, who created the whole earth, and yet came, left that aside to live, die, and be raised again from life, for life. Thank you for that, Father. Help each of us as we finish out the Easter season to remember all that you've done. It's ours. We praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.